Okay, hello everybody. Today is Monday, another Zodiac Monday. Welcome to the show. First, I would like to begin by saying thank you to everybody who checked out the Sleep podcast that was made over the weekend. And yes, that is a podcast purely designed for falling asleep. Some people had said that they use Black Box Online Radio to fall asleep at night, and I thought, why not make something a little bit more customized for that? And as always, you can download this show for free at Launchpad1. There's a link to that in the description box. It's under the same name, Black Box Online Radio, but the easiest way to find it is in the description box of the episodes. Launchpad 1, download the audio as a pure podcast. You can even take it on the go anywhere and anyhow. Another great way to support the channel, in addition to listening, is by visiting the Teespring page as well as Amazon.com. You can get a copy of the book Killer on a White Horse by me, Ned DeHaan, Murder Mystery, as well as having a look at some of the merchandise over on Teespring. And remember, being weird is not a crime. And I do have one more announcement before we begin. I would like to give a shout-out to YouTube user Alain Tanchot, who says, I would like to see you do a part on Mr. X, also known as Shell Cavale, if you find the time to do it. Thank you for all the work. That was posted on the episode Zodiac Killer Suspect List for and against. Well, thank you, Alain, and you will not have to wait very long because I am also the host of the Zodiac Killer Interview with the Experts series over on the Zodiac Killer channel, and I have just interviewed Mike Rodelli, the author of In the Shadow of Mount Diablo and The Hunt for Zodiac, who looks at Shilkavale as the Zodiac Killer. That interview should be up any time now, so please feel free to go over to the Zodiac Killer channel at the end of this episode and have a look. Also, the um, previous episodes are still up with Thomas Henry Horan and Mike Morford. No, it was really good talking to Mike Rodelli, learning all about Shel Cavale, his suspect, who, I'm, who I have to admit is a rather different type of Zodiac killer suspect. For starters, he is one of that was born in Norway. I mean, he was a millionaire many times over. He was a very affluent member of the business community. There's so many differences about Cavalli, and of course his age, but Mike Rodelli got into all of that. And if you'd like to hear more about that one more time, Zodiac Killer interviewed with, interview with the Expert Series on the Zodiac Killer channel. Today I wanted to do the episode in somewhat of a more direct and clearer, no-nonsense approach. And that is because, mostly on these Zodiac Monday segments, I will explore someone else's idea, and I try to evaluate the merit of their theory, look at the pros and cons, and yet, of course, I actually do share what I genuinely believe about these Zodiac killer suspects, or sometimes it's a zo it's a larger Zodiac conspiracy, like when I did the Zodiac killer CIA connection, looking at how these Zodiac crimes could be connected to something else. And of course, there are the unconfirmed incidents in Zodiac activity, such as most famously the murder of Sherry Jo Bates, the Domingo Sedbert murders, and then, as we'll see, Zodiac crimes could have possibly been happening all the way up into the 1980s. But I thought that in this one, I could do a little bit more honesty, 
and just saying some very direct things, because recently I was discussing the case with Soren Korsgaard, who is the author of the book America's Jack the Ripper, which is all about the Zodiac Killer, of course, America's Jack the Ripper being the Zodiac, and I was sharing something with him that someone had written out in the comments section here on Black Box Online Radio, talking about how the Zodiac Killer had a stutter, and Soren was just like, no, that's not true, he's saying something that's false, not gonna call out that person by name. And I thought, why don't I do that for an episode? Really say some just very blunt and to-the-point statements about certain aspects of the Zodiac case. And the first one I would like to begin with is David Gold's book, My Dance with the Zodiac Killer. David Gold put forward this theory that Frank Morris and two participants, John and Clarence Anglin, escaped from Alcatraz in 1962, and they went on to commit a series of crimes. And really, it begins earlier than that. He accuses Frank Morris of being the phantom killer in Texarkana 1946, and countless other things have happened. But with his book, if you, even if you look at the cover, you'll see the Zodiac Killer, the Phantom Killer, and D.B. Cooper. All of those things are committed by the same group of people. With the Zodiac crimes, it's a multiple killers theory, meaning that one of the Anglin brothers did the Lake Berryessa stabbing, and Frank Morris committed some of the other crimes. David Gold uh, has this book out, but he also has a YouTube channel, definitely over a hundred videos. Not all of them are about the Zodiac killer, but I, if I have to say something very direct, then it is just, well, not true. I believe that he is making up, making it up and fabricating a lot of his evidence because what he provides to substantiate his claims is that he knew Frank Morris personally and that Frank Morris has told him all of these explanations about how the crimes were committed, about the artwork on the Halloween card, the meaning of the Lake Berryessa costume. Oh yeah, I saw Frank Morris wearing something similar when he was younger. And normally, with a guy like David Gold, because he talks like someone who's a little bit out of his mind, mostly in touch with reality, but just a little bit out of his mind, people give him a pass because they're like, He's just being outrageous. We just want to hear what this outrageous guy is going to say. And I'm not going to lie to you. That's why I watched his videos. That's why I did an episode on him in the past. But I once did an episode on this channel talking about alternative solutions to the 340 cipher. David Ornchak, Jarl Van Eyck, and Sam Blake solved the Zodiac's 340 cipher. The one that reveals that wasn't me on the TV, which brings up an interesting point about me. And I did an episode on alternative solutions to that, and someone called me out saying, that alternative solution is just Zodiac porn. And I would put David Gold's book, My Dance with the Zodiac Killer, in that same, in that same area. Just, I mean, I don't think the alternative solutions are Zodiac porn. Mind you, that's someone genuinely proposing something that could be different. I mean, the FBI may have signed off on the, uh, the first solution to the 340 cipher, but David Gold's book is just saying outrageous things to fuel the curiosity of people 
in an unsolved mystery. And in short, he's exploiting the deaths of other people because he wants to have fun. He's exploiting the deaths of other people for profit because he is selling a book. He isn't just making YouTube videos. If people watch them, they watch them. If they don't, they don't. He is selling a book about these things. And my biggest problem with him was always that he says that he has experienced this stuff firsthand, even though we almost certainly know that that's not true based on how ridiculous the stories are. And people don't call him out on it because they just want to hear what he's going to say next. I mean, I can completely comprehend that true crime is a form of entertainment, and I had to deal with that for a very long time. Like, I really held out saying, no, this is not entertainment. We are learning things. We are genuinely exploring stuff. This is education. I even did an episode once talking about how there's a difference between commentary and entertainment because commentary is not education. It's not entertainment. It's its own separate category, talking about how there has to be a responsibility to be accurate. Otherwise, what are you giving commentary on? You're just um, making stuff up. And I think, though, that in, in the recent years, I've had to come to the realization that, yes, there is an entertaining form of true crime out there, but you still have to tell the truth. I mean, this isn't true crime in David Gold's world. It's false crime. I mean, is his theory correct? Almost certainly not. And when I was watching his videos, I could have accepted, like many people in his comment section, that, okay, he knew Frank Morris at some point in life because the way he talks about him or that he, um, he comes across as someone who isn't fibbing on that exact detail. Now I don't even, I don't even really believe that that's true. It seems like um, that is even a fabrication in itself. And what, uh, when I was discussing David Gold with Mark Hewitt, who is the author of the Zodiac uh, Hunted trilogy, the Hunted Profiled and Exposed, that is, he said, maybe David Gold isn't exactly a liar. What he's doing is he's using that as a storytelling mechanism, like the discoveries that have been made in the case, as I said, the artwork on the Halloween card, or the uh, Lake Berryessa costume and what that could mean and the significance of that. He is using this um, as a storytelling mechanism that okay, he didn't actually have these conversations with Frank Morris. This is how he wants to convey it to the audience. Yeah, that would be nice, except for the fact that, well, that's still making it up. That's still saying something that isn't true. And that's where we have to put this whole Escape from Alcatraz, Phantom Killer, D.B. Cooper angle. And somebody wrote in the comments section um, on my David Gold episode that... David Gold also accused the Zodiac Killer of murdering Bob Crane, the musician and the guy from Hogan's Heroes. Robert Graysmith had a book out about him called The Murder of Bob Crane, and it was made into a movie in 2002 with Greg Kinnear called Autofocus, and I believe all the recent editions of the book have since been renamed Autofocus. You might see it under the title Autofocus, The Murder of Bob Crane. Okay, David Gold, if you're right and I'm wrong... I will apologize, but I just simply think he's making it up. Now, we had two comments that came in recently on my episode, Zodiac, Xenophon, Anthony, Debunked. I was doing a debunking series on the weekend. I actually didn't make a video for the debunking series last weekend because I was on the Planet X Filmworks channel, and that is going to be something that's coming out later on, so please have a lookout for that, Planet X Filmworks. But this is um, a comment that came to us from Nick Laus, who says, Xenophon Anthony was spotted and identified by an eight-year-old leaving the scene of the crime as said on the file. 
So firstly, your scenario is made up and doesn't match what the file said. Here we go again. And um, I think there's um, some type of emoji of a dancing woman. Um, but then there, okay. Let's manipulate the narrative so it fits what we want. Isn't that what Robert Graysmith did with Arthur Lee Allen to make him look guilty? The question is, did Officer Falk see Xenophon Anthony? What um, Nicklaus is referring to is, I said in that debunking video that I had read that Xenophon Anthony was not witnessed at the scene of the crime where Paul Stein was murdered. The final Zodiac crime was Paul Stein's murder on October 11th of 1969. Paul Stein was a taxi driver, and he was shot inside the taxi. Then the perpetrator moved over to the front seat, or maybe got in the front seat at some point, and was moving things around, stole Paul Stein's keys and wallet, cut off a piece of Paul Stein's bloody shirt in a rather neatly cut rectangle, although Thomas Henry Horan disputes that. He says it was cut off later in the crime lab. But um, oh, I digress from that. And then this eight-year-old allegedly saw Xenophon Anthony. But what I said was, I had read that that was not at the scene of the crime, that Xenophon Anthony was seen walking in Presidio Heights at a different location. And um, I went looking for that report that places Xenophon Anthony at the scene of the crime. I couldn't find it. If Nikolaus has something, he is welcome to share it with me. But I also have one here from No Name who recently wrote in saying, Xenophon Anthony was ID'd by name by an eyewitness. How is this bonehead thinking that that he doesn't match the witness descriptions? Question mark. I believe uh, he's calling me a bonehead. Well, No Name indicated you are a goofball. If I'm a bonehead, then you can be a knuckle-dragger. And if I have to say something very direct, and I've been very critical of the people who think that Xenophon Anthony was the Zodiac Killer, because I think there's a lot of misinformation out there, but I think that there's a widely established narrative and commonly held belief that Xenophon Anthony was seen at the scene of the Stein murder. I'm not exactly sure where they're getting this from. I'm going to go over to an article that was from Crime and Time that says, on October 11th, 1969, at 9.55 p.m., a yellow taxi was driven by 29-year-old Paul Stein and it stopped near the corner of San Francisco's Washington and Cherry Street. The passenger, the, ma the man who had named himself Zodiac, shot Stein in the head, killing him instantly. Minutes later, and a few hundred Yards away, an eight-year-old witness said he saw and recognized a man, or so he thought. He, he saw and recognized his face, or so he thought. And this is the eight-year-old who would go on to identify that person as Xenophon Anthony, who lived on Jackson Street. Well, that's not placing him at the scene of the crime. It just says very clearly there that he was seen several hundred yards away. And some of the... Case file documents have been posted on ZodiacCiphers.com, and I will give you something better than disputing this fact about where Xenophon Anthony was located. Was it at the taxi cab, or was he just seen walking on the street in the neighborhood where he lived? A few hundred yards away. I mean, a few hundred yards, that's a substantial distance. I mean, what are we talking about? Two football fields, three football fields? 
I mean, why don't you walk 300 meters, see, see how long it takes, and see how far you can look in any particular direction walking 300 meters away. But Richard Grinnell had posted several things on ZodiacCiphers.com, and first there is um, something about the eight-year-old eyewitness, and the second is there is um, an FBI file on Xenophon Anthony, and I will give you something better than disputing this location about where the witness had cited him. And that is that Xenophon Anthony was checked out, his fingerprints were taken, and he was cleared of all suspicion by law enforcement, the FBI, the authorities, let's just say that. He was cleared that um, they don't think that his fingerprints are a match, and they also do not believe that he was the Zodiac Killer. And I'm still not even convinced that anybody actually saw him at the taxi cab on the night of Paul Stein's murder. I mean, being weird is not a crime, right? Well, walking around on a city street 15 minutes away from your house is also not a crime. And because I want to be very direct and very honest in this episode, somebody also wrote in to the channel saying that they had a piece of evidence in favor of Xenophon Anthony being the Zodiac Killer once, and it was talking about how the Zodiac mailed in the Halloween card, and there is a piece of, in the um, Halloween card in the envelope that says, Sorry, no cipher. Sorry, no cipher. And it's written in the shape of an X. And he's like, that could be a clue for Xenophon Anthony because X is the first letter in his name. I do not care for this type of thinking. I do not care for this type of, um, like, what exactly would you call it? Like, following these clues. To me, that is just impractical. That is not going to get you answers to say because something's in the shape of an X, therefore the killer's name has to be, has to begin with the letter X. I think that that is a waste of time, to be honest. Now we have a comment that came in to us from Teresa Klinkert, who says, Donna Lass's last roommate was interviewed in Hunting for the Zodiac, and I bet he has more to say. Donna Lass is viewed as the last Zodiac victim. The, it actually says last suspected victim. Excuse me, I misread one word. I think that Donna Lass is not the last Zodiac victim. She's the last um, suspected victim that has been given serious consideration. Oh, as I said, the Zodiac crimes continue well on into the 1980s, the unconfirmed crimes. The canonical crimes go from December 20th of 1968, beginning with the Lake Herman Road murders, on to uh, October 11th of 1969, the murder of Paul Stein that I was just talking about. But numerous people have tried to connect um, the Zodiac Killer to other crimes that happened in the 1970s and 80s. Let's start with the murder of Dana Lull in 1974. Lawrence Kane becomes a suspect in both the disappearance of Donna Lass, which Teresa was referring to, as well as the um, disappearance and murder of Dana Lull. The difference between Donna Lass and Dana Lull is that Dana Lull's body was found. She was shot with a 22 caliber pistol and found in a mine shaft. And to say some honest things in a positive way, I'm starting to agree with the person who just left this comment on a message board saying that he did not think that Lawrence Kane was the Zodiac Killer because he believes Lawrence Kane was indeed the murderer of Dana Lull. And the big differences between the Zodiac's crimes in 68-69 and the murder of Dana Lull in 74 is that 
Dana Lull is with her boyfriend, Roy Topai. They're in a car in a lover's lane. They're approached by somebody who orders them out of the car. And then the perpetrator concentrates his efforts on Dana Lull. And this guy, Roy Topai, makes a break for it. He runs and just hides in a ravine. And he hears them shouting, but he doesn't come out. And before you criticize him for that, that's probably what saved his life. Because, I mean, David Faraday was shot. Mike Majot was shot. And Mike Majot just survived by by fortune, more or less. I mean, he was his injuries were very, very extensive. And, of course... Brian Hartnell, very similar, but um, Mike Majot was shot in a much more vicious way. I mean, a bullet penetrated his jaw, went through his tongue. Sounds very, very horrific and gruesome. So what the person was saying was, the Zodiac Killer did not concentrate all of his efforts on the female victim to the point where one of the males could have run away, like not at Lake Herman Road or Blue Rock Springs or at Lake Berryessa. At Lake Berryessa, September 27th of 1969, Brian Hartnell is stabbed first. Then, but, um, well, I mean, it's before Blue Rock Springs, Mike Majot was approached by the Zodiac on his side of the car. Darlene Farron and Mike Majot were sitting in the car at Blue Rock Springs Park, and they were approached by somebody carrying a flashlight with a handle, and the person walked to the window and began firing. It's possible that the first bullet actually struck Darlene Farron in the arm, but it may have been intended for Mike Majot. It seems like the guy just opened fire on them. And then at Lake Herman Road, of course, David Faraday was murdered with a gunshot wound to the head. Yeah, I think I'm starting to agree with that guy. If Lawrence Kane is your suspect in the murder of Dana Lull, then maybe he's not the Zodiac killer because that is absolutely, absolutely out of the Zodiac's um, way of thinking just to uh, devote all of his energy to the woman to the point where the male victim could just run away and hide and not get found. Very different crime. But yes, Dana Lowell was abducted. Also, the Zodiac didn't abduct victims. And she was murdered, and her body was thrown into a mine shaft, and they found her there. So the big difference is they found the body of Dana Lowell. With Donna Lass, it is still an unsolved uh, mystery. And I've been doing a regular weekly segment on the disappearance of Donna Lass and trying to go through uh, the info that is mostly available to the general public. And while there are a few rough patches in that, I am really looking forward to Michael Morford's new series that he's going to be doing on the disappearance of Donna Lass coming very soon. I don't believe that Donna Lass or Dana Lowell were attacked by the Zodiac Killer because I simply have to say I do not endorse any of these unconfirmed crimes, not the Sherry Joe Bates murder, not the Domingo Edwards murders of 63, or Donna Lass in 1970, Dana Lull in 1974. But you guys might think that this is absolutely far out, ridiculous, wacky, too much um, for its own good. But the unconfirmed crime that has me the most curious, and only because I said that I would... Re respond to things honestly. But the unconfirmed crime that has me the most curious is the 1986 Sacramento Freeway murders. These are the murders of Koyan Se Chow and Choi Fao Sali, who were sitting in a car off of um, the interstate, and they were making a long drive, multi-hour drive, I think it's three hours, and it's possible that they just pulled over to the side of the road to rest for a while. 
and then somebody came up and shot them in the Zodiac, or somebody else did write a letter taking credit for this. However, the thing that stands out to me is that, yes, there is a letter, but also that there's just no motive for it. It definitely doesn't seem like a robbery. The reason why that particular crime stands out to me so much is that it gives me the impression of some type of older, feeble, less capable Zodiac killer going after some people who couldn't fight back, like trying to recreate the type of behavior that he had done. Let's see, that would be 17 years earlier. I'm, I'm really not a math person, but 1969 to 1986, that would be 17 years, right? Recreating the persona that existed in the 1960s solely because he thought that he could get away with it. Now, it's possible... It's highly, highly possible that that was just a different person and somebody else wrote the letter, unconfirmed uh, crimes. But, I mean, that's the one that has me the most curious. In the past, it was the Domingos Edwards murders in 1963 because it's quite similar to the Lake Berryessa stabbing. But if I'm telling you what I genuinely believe right now, I think that that was a sexual assault gone wrong, that some uh, mentally unstable individual who had been on the military base recently, got off base and saw Robert Domingos and Linda Edwards in a um, vulnerable place and attacked them. And it was, it was premeditated in the sense that that person wanted to attack a woman, but it wasn't premeditated in terms of specific persons. Like, the victim wasn't chosen. A crime was planned, but the victim wasn't pre-selected, that type of thing. And that that's why Linda Edwards' swimsuit was cut open and her breasts were exposed, because that person had been planning a sexual assault or wanted to go after a woman in a vulnerable place. Robert Domingos was tied up, and I just don't think that was the Zodiac Killer. I think that that's a completely unrelated crime, to be honest. So we have a comment from Jason Anderson on the most recent Anything Goes segment. Yes, every Friday is an Anything Goes Friday, where any subject is fair game. And I was talking about Jack the Ripper last time. I was responding to the book, The Mammoth Book of Jack the Ripper. And Jason Anderson says something, though, that is Zodiac-related by saying that I think the reason why the Jack the Ripper doesn't exist theory is more palatable than the Zodiac hoax theory is because we have instances of journalists confessing to forging the letters. Ned, if you like Ripper books, I highly recommend The Facts by Paul Begg and Bank Holiday Murders by Tom Westcott. Oh, um, I absolutely hope to read that one by Tom Westcott because I first heard about it from Thomas Henry Horan and Evan from Texas when I appeared on the Professor Dad channel, and I definitely have to read that at some point. I, uh, by chance, encountered um, a section of the Mammoth Book of Jack the Ripper, which has... Um, it has 20 different pieces of writing put together in it, and definitely, definitely some thought-provoking stuff. But in that episode... I was talking about how the Ripper hoax theory, that there was somebody writing letters taking credit for murders that he didn't commit. Yes, there has been a confession in that. I think on the channel I misstated it once saying that it was in 1934. It was 1931 when Fred Best confessed to um, writing the Dear Boss letter and the Saucy Jack postcard, but then it was republicized. I mean, like, 
those facts were restated or the confession was restated in 1966 in the media. So 1966, 1968, 69, you can see the proximity to the Zodiac murders. But it, what I said in that episode, a Jack the Ripper conspiracy theory, when I was talking about um, the Ripper hoax theory, is that that is one of my observations that I don't hear a lot of people talking about. And maybe Jason is spot on that, I mean, I, I can't think of any single, well, I, I'm, I'm going to hold my tongue for a second because I might say something I'll regret. But I was asking this question and answering it myself about one of my own observations is that the Ripper hoax theory is given strong consideration. Even in that book, the Mammoth Book of Jack the Ripper, they're saying, okay, clearly multiple perpetrators. There isn't a single Jack the Ripper. And also, I mean, I pulled up a BBC article once that I read off saying the Ripper letters were commonly hoaxes. Someone's writing letters to, for murders that he didn't commit. Or other people are like, there are multiple perpetrators at least, or they're saying that there isn't a single killer who operated in Whitechapel from August to November of, of 1888, whereas the Zodiac hoax theory is almost universally panned by the critics. When you listen to people like Tom Voigt and Michael Butterfield and Mike Morford, they're just like, no, absolutely not. It's wrong. You don't find this sense of strong consideration. And Ripper sleuths out there say stuff more to the contrary, such as, okay, it is not proven, but it's highly possible. That level of consideration just isn't present in the Zodiac hoax theory. And because I said I wanted to do things very honestly in this episode, I think it's because they don't like the chief proponent of it. It's the chief proponent of the Zodiac hoax theory is named Thomas Henry Horan. He is the author of the book The Zodiac, um, The Great Zodiac Killer Hoax of 1986 and The Myth of the Zodiac Killer, which also has The Great Zodiac Killer Hoax of 1969, and there's another section in it on vigilante journalism. I think it's because those guys don't like Thomas Horan's personality, and I mean, I think that has really influenced the way that they view his theory because they just simply find him too argumentative or combative, or that he genuinely challenges a lot of their previously held claims. And when I interviewed Thomas Horan on the Zodiac Killer channel, that interviews with the Expert series, you're always welcome to go over there and listen to some of those, he also said that people don't want to be proven wrong. Like, people have been looking for the Zodiac Killer, trying to find out who was the guy or group of people who committed these murders, and the idea of a hoax is just so unsatisfying that they'll keep believing the quote-unquote myth of the Zodiac Killer because they don't want to admit that they were duped or that they were fooled. I can see that, though. I absolutely do not endorse the hoax theory because I'm not 100% convinced that it's right. But one observation that I did note from guys like Voigt or Mike Morford is that they don't seem to understand all of the components. And even when I interviewed Mike Rodelli most recently on the um, Zodiac Killer channel for that segment, he also I asked him because I said Thomas Henry Horn was a recent guest on our show, why is his hoax theory wrong? And what Rodelli said was something that's almost identical to what Mike Morford said. I don't see how... His suspect, Hal Snook, could have stolen a piece of Paul Stein's bloody shirt from the crime lab and mailed it in with a letter. But when I say they don't understand it, Horan has not accused Hal Snook of stealing the piece of Paul Stein's shirt 
for someone from the crime lab. He has accused someone who has worked for the newspaper, the San Francisco Chronicle, of doing that and saying that um, some way, somehow, a person got their hands on a piece of Paul Stein shirt and provided it to Snook so it could be sent in with the letters. But um, whether the hoax theory is true or not, I definitely believe that Morph and Tom Voigt and Mike Rodelli even, when Mike Rodelli openly admitted he's not an expert on the hoax theory and he wants to talk about his theory, which he has every right to, not Horan's, but I definitely believe that before they try and tear his theory down, they should reevaluate it, or they definitely don't understand all of the components and how it works. And they don't want to understand it because they don't like Horan as a person, but you have to um, find out the truth one way or another, and I'll accept the result no matter what. I mean, hoax, a hoax theory is difficult to prove, but let's say, for example, if Mike Morford has proposed his suspect, McDuff, and it comes back some way that they found McDuff's DNA and McDuff's fingerprints and his palm print and so on, and all of this forensic material matches up to a single perpetrator, I would say, I accept the result. Yes, okay, then Morph was right and I was wrong. Absolutely. I mean, the thing with true crime is it's not false crime, and it's not just like that David Gold type of blab and we're, we're going to weave together some type of um, far-out and radical story. I will accept the results if it's agreed upon by experts and they have facts that they can present to the general public that I can understand. Yes. Now, we had a comment that came in on a previous episode about McDuff, but it also began, like it was one of those AMAs on Wednesday, but it began by talking about the Zodiac Killer CIA connection, but it was called uh, Morph's New Zodiac Suspect, and it says, I've always thought that the CIA and the superficially clean-cut Bush family that controls it, that the whole Zodiac thing was their playground to begin with. Being 100% honest, I do not believe the Zodiac Killer CIA connection at all. I think that the idea that there is this type, of, that the murders were committed by CIA operatives, no, absolutely not. Because of the descriptions in the police reports of the Lake Berryessa stabbing where the perpetrator's hands are shaking and Brian Hartnell's asking him, are you nervous? And he's like, yeah, I guess so. And Brian Hartnell's like, yeah, okay, I guess I would be too. But I, that doesn't sound like the behavior of a CIA operative. With the Stein murder, you could make a better case for it. But then why? I mean, if there's a, this murder that has been committed two weeks prior at Lake Berryessa, where someone committed a crime wearing that full-blown costume with the Zodiac symbol on it, then... I just absolutely do not think that there is a Zodiac Killer CIA connection referring to the crimes. Now, you want to say that they uh, manipulated the media coverage through Operation Mockingbird. Okay, we can talk about that later. That's a little bit more defendable. I mean, the CIA manipulates media coverage all the time, but that the murders were actually committed by CIA operatives. And to give a little bit of fairness... The first two crimes in Zodiac activity, Lake Herman Road and Blue Rock Springs, would have been committed by uh, 
drug dealers, gang-related activity, and then the second two crimes were committed by CIA operatives, and it was all linked together through these series of um, letters and messages, like the car door at Lake Berryessa, and the phone calls, if you go one mile east on Columbus Parkway, like the person talking on the phone, that those people are CIA. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, unless, um, like I said, there could be an aspect of it that gets connected to the CIA because of how widely known it is. But other than that, um, I, um, I just don't think so. Oh, I do like this one comment from Popmon that came in on the recent uh, McDuff episode. Suggested name for your new Sleepy Time series, Sleep Like the Dead with Ned. <laughs> Thanks, Popmon. And going back to the recent episode that I did on Donald Gene Harden as a Zodiac Killer suspect, he's the guy that solved the 408 cipher with his wife, Betty. To share some honest things about him, those types of theories are often centered around using certain types of language. The thing that I brought up in a recent episode was that uh, Zip from the Zodiac Killer Identified channel shared a video with me about how Don Harden was using commas in certain places, but in other places he was not ineffective, ineffective, ineffective. Anybody who's playing these number games with the Zodiac language, like saying, okay, two plus two is four, did you know that? Well, uh, if you, if you um, divide the Zodiac symbol into four quadrants, then that could also be 2 plus 2 because that's the number 4. Yeah, we get it. You can rearrange numbers in ways that make things sound like they were um, they were significant of some reason. But um, I have to go back to the number 23 phenomenon. I mean, there, there's a movie called The Number 23 with Jim Carrey. It wasn't very good. But the whole point is that they're saying that you can find the same number in your life if you... Um, use the appropriate amount of cleverness. Maybe I said this before on the channel, but I'm not sure, but after I saw the number 23, I, for some reason, was made the administrator or moderator of this Facebook group called Nine. It was supposed to be for, like, the musical Nine, but um, because somebody made me the moderator and then that person left the group, so they kind of, like, put it in my hands, I turned it into uh, something like that about numbers, where I would just rearrange different numbers from anything. Like, hey, look, here's also the number nine. Like, it's in the same way. You can rearrange any type of number series to get the appropriate amount of cleverness. Like, for example, the Zodiac committed a crime on September 27th, 9 27 2 plus 7 is 9. 9 and 9. In 1960, 9. Oh my gosh, like the number 9 is everywhere. You see how anybody can mess around with numbers. That is not helpful. And if I can also say something very, very honest, Gareth Penn's book, Time 17, is boring because he did that so frequently. <sighs> Now, here's something that I don't want to um, to uh, mess around too much with, because this might go from honesty to just true crime blab. And, and in the past, I used to just tell people my theories, okay, this is what I think happened, and people like, well, how do you really know that? And I'm like, okay, well, I don't know, but I think it's what happened. Putting it in that category, Gareth Penn wrote a book in 1986, 
something, and it came out in 1987. It's called Time 17, that is all about these number things, like converting things into Morse code and binary, and he identified Michael Henry O'Hare as the Zodiac Killer. But Gareth Penn also said that the Zodiac Killer committed the murder of Joan Webster in 1981. Now, I've talked a lot about the murder of Joan Webster here on this channel, as well as some other crimes that could be connected to that case. But it is my belief that Gareth Penn learned about the murder of Joan Webster because of the widely publicized media coverage surrounding her disappearance. Her body was found in 1990 in Hamilton, Massachusetts, more or less it's actually in a very rural area. But I think that Gareth Penn learned about the Webster case because of the extensive media coverage, and he saw certain clues that um, his suspect went to Harvard, and Joan Webster was a grad student at Harvard, and then he just put it all together. Oh my gosh, it has to be there, and well, Michael O'Hare also studied architecture, and Joan Webster was studying architecture, and he just uh, went off of clues like that, therefore thought that um, Michael O'Hare had to be the murderer of Joan Webster, something that O'Hare has adamantly denied, and he even wrote an article for the Washington Monthly where he openly said, I am not the Zodiac Killer or the murderer of Joan Webster, and if you want to play forensic linguistics, now this might be true crime blabbing, but O'Hare refers to those crimes as the Zodiac Webster murders, meaning that um, he definitely seems to differentiate that. So I think that is a strike against Gareth Penn's theory that, um, you know, if you want to just play like psychological undertone, if this person had actually committed that whole set of crimes, why is he making some type of distinction between the Zodiac killer and the Webster murder if he knew, in fact, that it was one and the same and... I don't know. I don't know, but I don't think that um, there is a Zodiac Killer connection to the state of Massachusetts. It's just that um, Gareth Penn had the opportunity to stitch something together using his own um, mental gymnastics. And as I said, it's messing around with numbers. Like Michael O'Hare's signature is times 17. I'm sure that you can fudge the facts in the way times 23 times 9 and you can rearrange numbers in some ways like um let's see if we do it now gareth penn was born when wasn't it january 1st 1941 or something okay one plus one that's two. Oh, maybe there are two zodiac killers you can mess around with numbers and get any type of wacky conclusion if that's all you have then I'm not impressed. If you had some other type of evidence, then I might be a little bit more willing to agree with you. But I would invite you guys to do something right now. What is something about the Zodiac Killer mystery that you want to be very honest about? You can call somebody out, say that somebody is wrong, say that I'm wrong about something. Um, challenge me on anything you want in the comment section down below, but what is something that you think is underreported? Because... I did the episode um, on Friday talking about Jack the Ripper because I was reading the book, the mammoth book of Jack the Ripper. And also, I wanted to highlight something that I heard on the Tate LaBianca radio program where the host, Brian Davis, said, there's something about the case that only he can see. Now, he's talking about the Tate LaBianca murders, however. I began to think, what is something about the Zodiac case that it seems like only I see? And that is that 
the Ripper hoax theory is given strong consideration. The Zodiac hoax theory is condemned across the board. What is something about the Zodiac killer case that you think that only you see, like your own original observation? That's the challenge question, as well as what is something that you want to be very honest about? Maybe you can, maybe you think a certain theorist is wrong. I said David Cold is wrong, but that's not too big of um, a challenge. It's, it's just more that um, I think that he is wrong in a um, exploiting kind of way. Like he's exploiting the deaths of innocent people because he wants to have fun with it. Oh, and that is something that you guys have brought to my attention in the comments section. Multiple people who have shared this about multiple Zodiac researchers are saying that this person doesn't even believe their theory. They are just saying this stuff because they want to be like, ah, ha, ha, nobody can prove me wrong. And um, they're just saying things that are meant to entertain themselves. Again, not naming names because there are multiple people who have been accused of that. Share anything you want in the comments section down below. One more time, you can download the show for free at Launchpad 1. You can follow the show on Facebook, and my personal Facebook is also in the description box. But the absolute best way to get in touch with me is over at blackboxonlineradio at AOL.com. That's also a great place to send in documents if you have anything that you would like to put out or share or um, anything that is a little bit too large for the YouTube comments section. You can also post your ideas for future episodes down in the comments section down below. And... I will see you over on Instagram for the bonus podcast. Until next time.